Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. It's been a busy uh, week for uh, filmmakers. Apple released a new version of Final Cut 10.4.9 uh, yesterday. They love Tuesday releases and Tuesday announcements. But uh, yeah, it was just a point release. But yeah, it was huge. Been uh, working for weeks and a long time to try and figure out a good proxy workflow to get remote editors working in the cloud and working with proxies, which is like a small version of the original file. And finally figured out a sort of working workflow. And then, yeah, and then Apple went and <laughs> updated Final Cut, but in a good way. Now it's so much easier, but now I have to rethink my workflow. But yeah, yeah they actually nice. improved the whole proxy workflow. So we had invented this sort of convoluted, definitely still legitimate workflow to get around some limitations in Final Cut in terms of proxies. But now it's like, Apple's like, oh, yeah, you want to reconnect to files in the cloud? No problem. They even added a thing where you can ingest XML as your footage. So you could have a live stream and just get an XML feed and goes, oh, here's the live stream. I can start editing it right away, which is a feature from you know lots of pro sports editing applications. But right. they had added it to Final Cut because apparently editing things live as they're going is a thing in some domains. But yeah, so many. We're doing it live. Yeah, we're doing it live. I'm editing this right now. Yeah, so the Final Cut world was, uh, and you can, they updated even motion. You can import 3D objects and do lots of crazy stuff and updated compressor. And the people that bought Final Cut, compressor, and motion 10 years ago have gotten free updates for 10 years. And these have not been small little updates. This is huge updates. So lots of people like to criticize Apple for many legitimate and maybe, you know, odd reasons. But uh, yeah, they've definitely given in the pro apps department. Uh, Final Cut is amazing and lots of people are making movies, commercials and TV shows and lots of social media content with it. It's very powerful. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Final they're Cut. they're subsidizing that software development with uh, overpriced hardware. So, well, that's Apple's business model. <laughs> I mean, the software is awesome and they give it pretty much give it away. I mean, Apple's Final Cut is not given away, but for the price of free updates forever. It's it's right. pretty much free. Um, people have been paying for other subscription services, may have been paying thousands of dollars per year for the last 10 years versus one $300 or less download. You know? So yeah, definitely good software and makes you buy the hardware, right? That's their business model. So right. to sell your <laughs> data about you, so. Well, I yeah. mean, that's the alternate business model, so. I prefer the overpriced hardware. Sure. Not that they aren't. And I mean, this is the, the I'm an Apple troll speaking that uh, <laughs> they know a lot about you. They market to you based on what they know about you uh, inside their own apps and they control the entire Apple ads domain. Yeah, well, they've never once offered to sell me coffee when I've been using Final Cut or anything like that. So they're not. Wow, using just because the coffee the, the coffee advertisers don't know enough to to go after the final <laughs> cut users. I don't know. The Facebook just published cola or something. 
I think Facebook just published a post saying that they're warning all the advertisers that with the new privacy tracking uh, features in the new Safari in the next version of macOS that they're not going to be able to give the advertisers the information that they want, that they're selling. Oh, so some of my gosh. testing, they have like this big, almost gaudy little badge in Safari where it reports how many sites they've stopped from cross-tracking you, cross-site right. tracking. Right. It's always a little scary, but... Yeah, I mean, I use I use a lot of ad ad blockers and privacy blockers currently. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of scary when you load up load up a page and it's just like, here's all of these things that uh, you know you you want to subscribe to and and be a patron of and pay money to worthy artists and creators, content creators that you respect, but you don't want your information sold and distributed everywhere. So you have to be picky these days. And yep. True um, story. But we fear our government more than we fear corporations. So it's okay. Yeah. You're living in the upside down world. But yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast. Yeah. Tech world news. I'm super excited about Final Cut because my kind of day job is dealing with and working with editors and post-production and yeah, figuring out workflows for people, which is it's tricky like a pipeline, you know, ways of doing things. It's hard to change the way you do things, but Christmas comes when you get new updates and new features to play with. And yeah, it's, it's kind of awesome to, to see, uh, you know, Apple, uh, you know, stepping up uh, and knowing that, that people are, you know, in, in these work from home situations or, or, you know, deployed, uh, workforce that that's isolated and separated from, from one another. Uh, to to step up that way and and really show some you know some some cool new features and I think this is going to be the new reality for a while and we managed to pull off a a conference with uh, Felipe <laughs> being all the way in Prague right yeah. managing our entire conference so uh, you know I wouldn't have thought that would be possible ten years ago. Uh, you know, but but uh, we have that capability of, of being able to near real time edit on the fly is it's pretty spectacular. So I mean that that I'm not a video editor, but uh, to to hear about this coming from Apple is is pretty spectacular. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I mean, like every large company, there's lots of different departments and groups, and I think the the pro video pro apps teams have worked really hard. And they like to engage, you know, with professionals in the field and with companies making products. And I've been to a number of conferences and talked to Apple and their pro apps teams, uh, you know, lots of members. Um, they're working hard to see what people are doing and try to adapt. And a lot of times you ask them something, they'll just smile at you and their typical Apple sort of like, I'm not going to comment. But, you know, one smile means, oh, I've heard that before. Another smile means like, mm, no, but, you know, you learn to interpret the uh, the. <laughs> the non-committal smiles, but no, they're right. great, great people, and they've been working with uh, lots of different companies in the states and in Europe to make Final Cut work with different software like uh, PostLab, um, Frame.io, and a lot of uh, companies that are using this to make movies. And now that we're even more remote than ever, and film has always had a bit of a remote element, working on site or on set or in the field, and but now everybody's even more remote than before. So <laughs> a lot of these awesome tools to help us uh, collaborate. Um, I mean, they made Final Cut work with NFS and network storage, even SMB, which 
as a longtime XN snob, I would have never thought that possible. And I have clients using NFS and SMB for Final Cut, which, you know, video video over network stack, yeah, it just seems crazy. But now people are working with cloud drives and even put it in the release notes. Yeah, proxy workflow, you can work on cloud drives, you know. <laughs> it's like, ah, things are changing and the cloud is there and the cloud can be used to exchange files and data. <laughs> Definitely yeah, and, and these are not small files. I mean, some some folks are working in four or five, six K, right, for video. So, well, and that's but, been part of the fun of this proxy workflow is like trying to keep the files at four K. So I've been actually making proxies, so smaller versions of the original, but right. they're still four K. But now they're encoded with either ProRes proxy format or H two six four. And so even though H two six five has been kind of like the the latest darling uh, H.264, kind of like MP3s, is the tried and true. And so I I got files down to 17 megs in H.264 when the original was much larger, like hundreds and hundreds of megs. So that was like a small file, like 500 megs down to like 17 megs. Wow. So I had like almost a terabyte or a shoot that I uploaded the proxies to the cloud, to PostLab, it was like 37 gigs. So... You can upload them not too long, and then people can connect to them. And then when they need to get the originals, then you move a drive in other ways, or you go back to the to the office or wherever the originals are. And but you could start, you know, you could upload thirty seven gigs a lot more quicker than you could almost a terabyte. So right, right, yeah. Well, I I have a backup that I've been been trying to push, uh, testing <laughs> some new backup software, and it's been trying to to push almost two terabytes upstream and and uh, yeah. Comcast my. Uh, my internet provider is not happy with me. That can take a while. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but uh, even with gigabit, uh, um, yeah, I hit. Apparently, there are data thresholds and, and uh, limits as to how much data you can can actually pu- push. Um, and I have I have met those for two months in a row, trying to push a, a one and a half terabyte. Uh, uh, so they always say backups are nice, but restores are better. Restores so how are you going to test, ter- test that two terabyte restore, my friend? Uh, not the entire, <laughs> not the entire restore. That's for sure. Yeah, we're, I think we're gonna we're gonna piecemeal test. Uh, you know, something that we talked about uh, in, in the book club is is the you know development cycle, right? And, and putting a plan together, implementing it, testing it. And then and doing that, you know, in a quicker fashion, uh, and uh, I, that includes backups, right? So I backed up a little bit. I went and tried to restore and see, you know, how much of that could be restored uh, already. So that's it's always recover restore is always more important than backup. You're correct. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun doing the uh, DevOps uh, for Dummies uh, as a book club to discuss the book together, and I mean sometimes. Some of the stuff is very applicable only to software development, but I think still there's there's stories to be pulled out of that for uh, us in the IT world or ops world or sort of a mix of all. I mean, and I know certainly as we deal with a lot of backups and I'm a storage person in my day job that I feel like that test-driven development like is always kind of like me when I'm thinking about a setup, I'm designing for failure. So you're designing the storage system and for failure so that it can re- degrade gracefully. You could designing the backup system so that things can fail, but it's still not ruin your day or your company. <laughs> right. <laughs> build those tests, kind of like building those tests for the code, you know, as you're going. So building your, your, your backup plans, your disaster plans and you know, 
as you and the, and the same goes for for managing software repos whether it's in monkey or jam for or what have you you know you're you know we have a lot of automation available to us with auto package um you know but but you know how do you test that how do you how do you know that that what you're grabbing down from an auto package recipe is, is the correct package and how do you then further test that monkey installed it properly and uh you know and and make sure that that you don't have endless loops running or uh, other things like that so reporting becomes important and and discovering how to do that not spend all day planning for it uh but also not spend all day trying to write you know a script to test for it either so <laughs> There's definitely some challenges uh, there, You're and a I, script writer than I am because I think you spend ten times more more time automating something than doing it sometimes. But there's a reason, I suppose, that there's a win of in the, over the long run. But auto, writing automation scripts for sometimes takes a lot longer <laughs> up front. It, it, yeah, it, it it can. I mean, some of it comes with, uh, you know, having done it for years and years, and and some of it comes from, uh, you know, having things in the can already, right? And reuse of code, um, you know, even if it's uh, borrowing things found on the internets, uh, <laughs> you know, or things like that, uh, you know, is always an option as well. But, you know, along, along those lines, uh, you know, um, sometimes it does feel like you're spending more time trying to automate a process than just like manually uh, doing whatever it is that you need to get done. Uh, I, I think we have a there, there's that seed of an idea to, to write tests off the auto package recipe. And I, I need to find some free time in my schedule to to explore that because I think that would be an awesome opportunity. Uh, but maybe maybe the community hearing this will perk an idea and and have somebody uh, help us out with that. Yeah, it seems like there's a couple of different solutions which I haven't been able to grasp <laughs> mentally and physically. But there've been a couple s solutions that people have set up with uh, GitLab or GitHub GitHub Actions or GitLab CI uh, to try to automate the auto packaging <laughs> or the running of auto package recipes and but. I would really love a system that kind of combined getting of all the recipes in auto package and then throwing them into a VM and then testing whether I guess a they install and then B maybe you can test like I don't know the veracity of the software or is it malware does it do anything I mean I don't know how you right. test for those other than some general ideas you know install yeah it. I mean wait I mean does it do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can automation software run like a web proxy? Check traffic. Make sure it's not checking that it's in a VM like some malware does, right? And do nothing, right? It's like a waiting game. How long do you wait for your automation to run um, so that it can, you know, spawn off some malware? And you're like, ah, I waited 17 days and now it finally did something bad. You know? Yeah, well, and that that gets to, you know, the, the new situation or the new normal of, you know, people being on networks that you can't control. It's not that you don't control them. You just cannot control them. And and yes, maybe you can force them onto a VPN, but what happens if they fall off the VPN? Uh, you know, what what how do you how do you implement uh, essentially zero trust networking in, in these COVID times and ensure that that you know you're in a little bit control of of how that device is communicating with with the big bad internet. Yeah, 
sigh, heavy <laughs> sigh. Like that's a big heavy sigh, <laughs> right? It's it. There's a lot to it, and and uh, you're not wrong to to sigh uh, about that. Um, I think uh, some of the first steps are are controlling DNS. Uh, you know, whether that's with uh, something like Cisco Umbrella, uh, or or even something uh, as simple Pi-hole. as Pi-hole. Yeah. Um, you know, just to cut down on potential phishing and and malware and things like that there, and then and then growing growing that capability and control from from there. It kills me that still to this day, I don't know what we're two decades into this operating system, and you cannot force a VPN connection uh, for for the Mac OS. Uh, Windows, you can do that. When you boot up, it has to connect to the VPN before you can log in. You still, to this day, cannot do that with a Mac. No. The VPN is like the old model. And, you know, back to the DevOps thing, it's these silos. Security mm-hmm. is in a silo all by itself, and it leaves out the developers and the IT and the poor people actually trying to use the computers. And Oh, um, we don't care about them. The, the <laughs> users? No. <laughs> Just seems but like you're trying to get work done. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. You can't you can't use that resource. <laughs> I mean like VPN stopping software from, you know, verifying licenses because they can't get a secure connection. You know, they can't download an update. They can't, you know, in in, in you know, HTTP uh, you know, SSL inspection, you know, like um so yeah, yeah, bad things happen with security is all by itself. DevSecOps. We need to put we need to shift left. We need to move yeah. the security I, to the front of the the equation with operations and with the developers and I'd say the people actually using you know, Well, you know, I mean Apple is just as guilty uh, of this as well. I mean as as a service provider and a reseller uh, that I was for years, Apple has moved into this model of if you want to access Apple, you have to be on a static IP with a blessed IP. Uh, you have to have certificates to communicate with Apple. These are all great things, but now, now my workforce is distributed. How do I do that? Oh, well, now I have to kind of you know, work around the system by having folks VPN into a blessed IP address and then go from there. Well, that you, you've not created security. You've just created more obstacles at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think getting beyond the uh, walled garden or the firewall, you know, the great firewall. I mean, I think a lot of people, especially uh, with COVID and uh, this remote, new remote times, people have quickly moved outside of the networks and, Yes, mm-hmm. probably connecting with VPNs to some extent, but also connecting to secure resources that are on the open internet. And as scary as that is, um, that's just the way it's got to be for a lot of services. You know, we're all using MDM these days, and that's like having your umbilical cord connected to Apple. You know, on your Mac all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, and we're putting a lot of trust in in something that you know in a system, especially the well, it's not called device enrollment anymore, but. Uh, um, so Apple you know, business manager, Apple, Apple business manager. manager um, you know, we're we're putting a lot of trust in that system working. Uh, you know, and and like we've seen the reports of MacBook Airs that are getting too warm because they're plugged in on the wrong side. Uh, you know, <laughs> and now they can't enroll uh, properly into the MDM and can't be deployed. Uh, it's just it's just crazy. Well, like we were talking about with uh, you know the software development 
lifecycle or the software deployment lifecycle in the DevOps book hub, you know, <laughs> software you can update, <laughs> you can iterate with hardware. It's kind of fixed. <laughs> it's it's got to be right before it goes out there. And, you know, Apple has has at times made mistakes with certain hardware and it's not a simple problem to fix beforehand and you although you want to try to avoid them beforehand but yes after the fact fixing hardware whether it's a keyboard or power management it's not easy to fix after the fact and yes some design hubris has gone on <laughs> <laughs> you say that lightly uh, <laughs> yeah um you know thin is in and and i and i get that you know it, the the reason why the form factor is thin is because it's very hard to to create knockoffs uh you know when you have that precision of engineering uh so i i get that but i still would like a longer battery life on my laptop and and uh, uh, uh overheating that's been a problem forever I, right <laughs> my wife we, got we moved that, to a single fan iMac, it's fine. imac dv the rose colored imac you know with sort of like a clamshell crt not clamshell but like a crt and the crt yeah where and i remember it was a hot summer we got it and we had to have a fan always on it because it's you know the design hubris for a long time has been there's no fan it's got to be quiet and then you know that was a mistake for a long time <laughs> for a lot of different models <laughs> And, you know, they went to great pains to show us that they've done these fans better in the, the, the laptops and they've changed everything and everything is better. And yeah, and now they're still overheating. You know? it's like, right. Yeah. Well, whole... I mean, again, you can only move so much, you know, volumetric air through so much of a space. Right. So there there's that. And I don't care how you tune the fan blades so that they don't make noise. <laughs> When they're still ramped up to two thousand ripums, it's gonna it's gonna make noise. It just is because uh, you're you're now trying to force a lot of air through a very small small space. It, it's going to be interesting to see over the next uh, couple of years as Apple moves to Apple Silicon uh, what the form factors are going to look like. You know, are we going to get just a souped up uh, iPad Pro that that runs the the Mac OS? Uh, or, you know, are we going to see, you know, actual true vision and revision to to the laptop uh, and a combination of things? Uh, you know, I don't know, something something silly like Face ID on a laptop, <laughs> although Face ID doesn't work with masks. So there's that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, this isn't something new either for for Apple, who is very big in in. You know, South Korea and and uh, China, where it, those are mask wearing countries and, and areas of the world that you know that it's not something new, right? When when they are sick or there's a there's some sort of an outbreak, it, un, unlike the United States where we push back against mask wearing, they all willingly just bust out a mask and go about their day. So this obviously has affected the use of of iPhones uh in you know in those countries so th this isn't a new phenomenon it's just a new phenomenon for the engineers in cupertino who haven't had to deal with that and have ignored have ignored that feedback right well i mean there's there might be a certain california hubris you, you know teslas with you know that don't work well in snow or people or using smoke. touch id for the first time in places with snow and cold and they're wearing gloves like touch id doesn't work too well when you're wearing gloves right so face id works a lot better but 
doesn't work really well with a mask, though you can add the alternate appearance in the in the settings. So, but yeah, <laughs> but that alternate appearance uh, setting is hard to set with a mask. I mean, it, it a lot of times will tell you that something's blocking your face that that uh, and even still won't recognize your face after you've gone through you know all of that. That I don't really recognize my face anymore after all this. <laughs> months of is it years of <laughs> pandemic well it, it is march uh 7325th uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear i mean you mentioned the the plugging in the power in the wrong way i mean uh, there was that excellent uh blog post about uh, not being able to enroll the, the laptops because they were overheating and the incredible spelunking that was involved just to determine that they were overheating and that there was some mysterious system just or a system of measurement and determination that was unknown to most people that calculated right. whether you know the the, the uh the activities at hand should be going ahead or that was pretty crazy um, yeah it's just uh it's a it's a little bonkers uh you know that 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 can hold up uh what is already a, a house of cards process right i mean that that whole enrollment process is just like uh, on on hopes and dreams of, of Apple doing the right thing, and you know we we've also seen in past instances of uh, uh, computers uh, having this you know the wrong serial number gets entered in by the the distributor, mm -hmm. uh, and that you unbox it and it gets enrolled in another large corporation's you know. <laughs> <laughs> set up and uh and all of a sudden you're getting asked to, for your octa login or or what ca what have you and uh yeah <laughs> it's a little little scary uh those well, i mean there's lots of dependencies i mean amazon and amazon s3 are very popular for storing files in servers and it's funny when there's an outage and there's been a few you can see like half the world or most of the world or half the processes they use don't work because their right. S3 storage bucket doesn't right. show up anymore. So uh, using the cloud is, is, is usually recommended these days, but um, yeah, it's a dependency and it, it can go down. And if you don't pay for, you know, uh, some kind of like multi-tenant, multi-cloud, multi-site setup, which is probably 10 times more expensive, then you're going to suffer the same problem as if you had your own server and server room and data center if it goes down, which is not too likely, but it does happen. And yeah, I mean, you're and you're basically stuck with, you know, like having to use, you know, what, two of the what, three, four, you know, large megacorps cloud offerings to to ensure that you uh, you know your data is available and, and also secure, and and now yeah you're getting into to big dollars because now you're syncing data between you know Amazon and and say Microsoft Azure, uh, you know that if you're dealing with video, yikes, <laughs> that's a lot of data to be moving around uh, and paying for egress and 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 whatnot on that so. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting. Uh, even simple things like databases, you know, that that run websites and, and things like that, having failover, even for simple simple things. I, I had a client uh, just the other day who's simple WordPress site, but also runs all of their their retail operations. Uh, uh, the database went sideways, and and luckily I had set it up to failover. 
um, and they only lost uh, about 10 minutes worth of transactions off of that. But still, that I mean, luckily it wasn't a lot of transactions. It looked to be about three that we could rebuild out of email. But uh, still, I mean, that's a simple small business that whose livelihood depends on some of these, uh, you know, what we think of as innocuous things, but if not set up properly uh, with proper failover and some proper testing, you know, can can be disastrous. Yeah, I mean, um, Jeff Gearling had a he's uh, wrote a book on I think uh, Ansible uh, uh, DevOps Ansible for Dummies or something like that. It was a really cool book, but he had a post about uh, if I deleted your production cluster right now, how long would it take you to get it replaced and running again? And there was some really interesting answers, you know, right. people were like, oh, yeah, you know, five minutes, you know, or other people are like, well, it'll take me an hour to install this, another hour to install that. And then I have to configure this. And, <laughs> you know, it's like if, well, if my main server doesn't go down, I can do a ZFS snapshot or no, I got to reinstall Kubernetes. I got to install this, got to reinstall that. <laughs> it was really interesting thread. I'll also put a link to it. Just all the different systems that people have and, you know, getting people to think about that disaster recovery. It's definitely right. something, an on-site thing that I used to set up for a lot of people or still do occasionally. But uh, now it's moved to the cloud, right? It's like, are you doing a Terraform script? Are you setting up Kubernetes? Are you just got an S3 bucket? Do you have, you know, just a, are you running like, you know, in Linode or somewhere else, just a whole server? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that that's the point is just because you've moved to the cloud doesn't mean that you are exempt from from having a, a disaster recovery plan. Uh, you know, the the largest cause of, of most data issues are human beings, right? <laughs> Somebody, oops, didn't mean to didn't mean to send that drop table or didn't mean to to delete that whole folder of, of files. So, you know, what is what is your recovery strategy for for something as innocuous as, as an oopsies? Uh, to a full, you know, data center outage, you know. I mean, there's a lot of oopsies we don't control back to the MDM thing. I mean, what if your MDM right. vendor got bought by Apple or some other random company, you know, um, right. and then your MDM's not working anymore? Or another security company, uh, Trail of Bits, had posted that their MDM company that they had paid for just decided to yank their their enrollment out. And so, mm-hmm. boom, all of a sudden, none of their machines were managed and they had no warning. You know, it's like, so... Yeah, good thing we're all using MDM vendors we trust, right? Okay, just so. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, that comes down to, you know, hoping that, that Apple has implemented MDM in, in the right way and that that vendor is also implementing it in, in the right way. Um, yeah, there's, we, we put a lot of trust into, uh, into these vendors and these organizations and we're fairly locked into it because changing an MDM is not an easy task. Well, when you have some heads up, it's doable, but yeah, it's not, not my favorite thing on my list of things to do. Right. I mean, mostly hey, let me wipe and reinstall this machine uh, <laughs> so I can re-enroll you in a new MDM. Yeah. yeah Shout that. out to Taylor at Simple MDM. I love you. Don't change. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Yeah. <laughs> MDM. I mean, that's why. Yeah, I mean, on, on a serious note, that you know, with simple MDM, they incorporating Monkey. That's been really nice to test out. I mean, my Monkey repo is separate from my MDM right now, but mm-hmm. I mean, as far as putting all my eggs in one basket, it, it also simplifies the security story of having 
you know, if your devices are enrolled in MDM and they trust that uh, vendor, then you can use those certificates to trust your monkey repo and you don't have to use, you know, HTTP or basic auth or, you know, or just, just SSL. Well, and, and kudos to those guys for, for putting it out there in, in the public domain. So it, it's open to inspection, uh, especially since, since monkey itself is, is, you know, open source software and, and putting those implementation scripts uh, that and they've they contributed code there. to mm-hmm. auto package to make it happen um, and code to monkey. So they've got an auto package integration now. And uh, yeah, they're using like one of the plugins like a, from monkey and, and <laughs> yeah, they've gone to Slack, the Mac in Slack to talk about changes, to talk about what they want to do. And they've talked it out and it's been fun in the, you know, emoji popcorn eating sort of fun <laughs> sense of watching people <laughs> discuss back and forth about, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? And then, <laughs> somebody who shall remain nameless was like just file a you know a pull request just put in your code and then it was like oh but on the repo it says to come here and discuss it first just file the like pull request oh. <laughs> so you know it's, it's kind of fun but yeah it's good i think it's, i think it's a great idea in general and specifically for this case to, to discuss potential issues i mean don't want to waste time writing code in a pull request if people are not going to accept them or feel like you're generally approaching something that would be acceptable but I think it was really nice with uh, Taylor to go there because he was able to discuss the issues and see what would be acceptable and discuss the potential code changes and try to hammer out, you know, us IT people always think we're smarter than everyone else. So we're always asking people when they want to do something, what do they really want to do? It's like right. if someone right. told you they wanted chocolate ice cream, you're like, no, what do you really want? Well, chocolate ice cream. No, 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 no. Maybe vanilla, maybe not ice cream. Well, you know, a nice apple crisp would be good. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, I'm getting hungry. I, I, I'm sensing. I'm sensing that. So, so when this podcast drops, uh, it will be uh, September. Um, <laughs> September is infamous for uh, new uh, eye devices. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting uh, with with Apple hitting a two trillion dollar uh, market cap to see to see how they continue to proceed to, to pump out new hardware. Uh, here in the in the coming months, uh, iPad sales are are through the roof as as uh, parents get get ready get their kids ready with devices to to school from home yeah. <laughs> or whatever they're having to do. Oh, don't get me started by this whole back to school thing. <laughs> I'm only wow. a little stressed about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just a, little, just a little worried. Remote learning where possible, please, <laughs> if if you can. Yeah, can, remote then. remote learning is going to be uh, a big thing. Uh, I, I think a lot of that s- stems from a lot of a lot of schools, uh, you know, close down at the end of the school year uh, in May or June, uh, with the thought that come uh, end of August, September, that we'll just go back to, to class and and did not make any plans over the summer for how to handle that. And it's not true of all all districts, but uh, uh, for the majority of them, it feels like they got to August and went, oh, oh, no, we need to do this remotely. What are we going to do? You know, and it, it's uh, it, well, they've told us all we're all going back to school. And I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say it with a sort of smug, you know, I told you so. But we were definitely smug and thinking that things were just going to get better or stay the same. And I know in Vancouver, B.C., you know, things got worse. We got more cases. <laughs> Because everybody right. like was like, "Hey, no problem. We got this thing. Let's go and have a party." It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm here in Spokane and Eastern Washington, and and uh, 
luckily the the major school districts here uh, you know have opted for uh, remote learning to start with the option of, of possibly doing a, a coming back to the classroom probably in the spring two of the major universities have have said that they're going to be remote only for for the entire year don't even bank on spring semester uh going back but then we have two universities that are just like nope we're bringing everybody back and you know we're going to have 4000 uh students from all over the country bringing the covid right back to right back to us as as our numbers are finally dropping so it's definitely going to be an interesting couple of months uh yeah. you know as, as uh as this all plays out, but uh, the technology aspect of it and, and the potential for new ways of learning and remote learning uh, and remote engagement and and trusting our children to do the right thing when they are left to their own devices uh, is is going to be huge <laughs> over the next couple of yeah. Couple these are definitely challenging times for everyone. I mean, one of my kids just asked me to buy them some math workbooks, so that I thought that was a little startling, but also. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the feeling that they themselves think I'm just digging in and not leaving my house. So just get me some math workbooks. I eventually will want to do them. <laughs> but I know with parents of little kids, you know, it's hard to have little kids in the house. And what if you need to actually go to work to get paid, which a lot of us in the IT world are working remotely. Um, but a lot of people do not have that luxury. So yeah. I I would hope that our beneficial uh, omniscient masters that run our governments, you know, would see that schools are community resources and should be used by the people that absolutely need them for food, for education, for daycare, for minding. And the rest of us that are lucky enough perhaps to work at home or our kids are older and they can work on math workbooks that they ask for, which is a miracle. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. There, there are some, there's some room for creativity, but I, managing those those needs and those obligations uh, societal obligations i just feel like we stopped thinking about them at the end of the school year last year and and it's only recently they're like oh no we need to do something and and uh, are now scrambling to to figure that out and had they had they possibly taken the summer uh to plan this out i think we would probably be seeing better yeah, results and, and I don't blame results. teachers because they don't get paid in the summer but the people that run the schools and the school boards right. and all the education you know government ministers should have known better and I know in our case as usual we're smug about being arrogantly awesome and better than everyone else <laughs> and I know for a while we were but yeah there's more cases so I hope that we can uh, rethink before everyone goes back to school in a couple of weeks here yeah. um, and uh, maybe uh, pause <laughs> but yeah we've really strayed from DevOps I think but other than the DevOps is about people over process. And so we care about our people and right. Uh, <laughs> right. All our hey, and there, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity too in, in, you know, coming up with these new ideas. So, I mean that, and that, and that's on us too, right. For, I, I support uh, a couple of local schools and, and uh, you know, helping them be creative with the resources that they have uh, and, and, you know, helping them and, and educating the teachers to get accustomed, you know, to the new reality of, of Zoom or or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it, it is different. Uh, the engagement is different. Um, and it's tough to sit and stare at, you know, a little screen all day long and have a camera but, facing back at you. 
if people uh, are at home, kids are at home, it's hard for them to reach out to their friends. And that's why it's always been helpful in my household to have like, a, you know, the kids had iPod touches in the beginning and mm -hmm. were able to iMessage their friends because their friends were not in the neighborhood. And, and I've gotten a lot of uh, questions from different parents on how they can, you know, have their kids securely communicate because while the school year was going, they could use Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever the schools were using. But then when summer happened, all that got shut down. And so the kids were left not being able to communicate and, you know, and communicate with their friends. And we need to be social in person or remotely, but we need to communicate with people. And so and trying to help other parents with setting up child accounts, uh, Apple IDs, like child Apple IDs, or if you want to set them up in, you know, in Google and Android, uh, different systems, you know, how do you set up secure communication systems for your children so that they can reach out, but be doing it in a safe manner? Yeah, it's not the days of the bulletin board systems that we used to dial into. Oh, wait, I'm really old. Sorry. <laughs> yes, it's, this is not an unfettered IRC channel, but you right. just sort of read it for that, for right. uploading of nonsense. Um, we, we like DevOps. We need to foster communities of trust uh, and respect. Um, right. That goes for all levels of social groups. Um, yeah, some communities lack that <laughs> and we need to work hard to foster that trust and that respect for others that's my dad voice signing off <laughs> be nice to your sister stop hitting her <laughs> she's hitting herself wait uh yeah. ah, siblings <laughs> broken up a few street fights recently in my own house <laughs> But yeah, the book club is going to continue for the rest of the summer, as far as we can tell. Um, thanks for everyone joining us. Um, you'll get your gold stars and your uh, red envelopes. You know, DevOps for dummies, join us. <laughs> you, won't, you won't regret it. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I mean, reading a book together with other people, I mean, it's fun. The middle of the day, Wednesday at noon is what works for some people in Europe and some people here. But yeah, everybody's working really hard and it's hard to take time out but for those who can drop in you won't regret it it's so <laughs> thank you to our mac devops yvr 2020 sponsors our sponsors for mac devops yvr the conference 2020 mac stadium our platinum sponsor thank you so much for helping us out sauce labs our gold sponsor simple mdm our silver sponsor and adagy our bronze sponsor as well as elastic our community sponsor thank you so much uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps Podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I think America needs a gap year or something, you know, to go and travel the world. And see, <laughs> Except we're not allowed to travel anywhere. So it's not nice to tease, tease the dog with a, with, with a bone through the fence. Come on. <laughs>